HR Podcast, Episode 11. I am Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, a Twin City Sherm board member and HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Today, Mike and I are thrilled to be joined by two incredible women, Sarah Bloomchrist and Missy Sheikray. Before we dive into our episode, I do want to give a brief overview of Sarah and Missy. Missy is the Senior VP of Business Development and Product Innovation at Mentium Corporation. She serves on the Mentium leadership team, where she drives both strategy and innovation to evolve Mentium's brand and value proposition. Prior to joining Mentium, Missy spent over a decade as an HR leader with various large organizations, including Cargill, Best Buy, and Accenture. Sarah is the Vice President of HR and Corporate Administration with Ceres, a commodity merchandising and transport company. Prior to Ceres, Sarah held HR leadership roles with Cargill, the Minnesota Vikings, and ran her own independent coaching and consulting firm. So thanks to both of you ladies for being with us today. Before Mike and I dive in with our questions, I want our listeners to know that today we're going to talk about formal mentoring programs. Specifically, we're going to be discussing Mentium's newest program, which is called Women Mentoring Men, Standing Together for Change. I happen to reference Mentium in my interview that I did with Terry Calderon, which is episode five. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to take a listen. Terry has been the most impactful mentor I've had in my career, and in that episode, we talk about our relationship and the importance of both formal and informal mentoring relationships. Terry has been a mentor through Mentium, and in the episode, she referenced her experience with the program. All right, so Missy, before we talk about Mentium's newest program, why don't you start by telling our listeners about Mentium services and the role that you play within the organization? Great. Thank you so much for having me. I've been with Mentium now almost exactly three years. And as you mentioned, have a long history of working in HR in various organizations. At Mentium, our core competency is mentoring. So we do all things mentoring, and we've been at this for almost 30 years. We are a proud women-owned business and really excited about the innovation we're focused on because mentoring is a universal concept. While mentoring itself isn't new, I think the ways that we put out mentoring in our offerings and programs are very innovative and helping organizations to develop their key talent. All right. And Sarah, can you tell our listeners about your involvement and experiences with Mentium? Yeah, I started uh, with Mentium when I was with Cargill. I was in a program where I was a mentee. So uh, I think it's the Mentium 100 program. Is that what it's still called, Missy? Where you are... um, for mid-level women being mentored by executives. So I had a male business executive that I worked with for about a year, and it was a really great experience. A few years later, Mentium came and asked if I would consider being a mentor in the program. So I've been through several cycles of mentoring other women, uh, both in the Twin Cities, one overseas and one in Chicago over the last number of years, and just enjoyed it immensely. Great. And I know I'm excited to ask some more questions a little bit later, Sarah, on your involvement with a new program. But before we dive into that, um, Missy, can you share a little bit more about, you know, what makes Mentium unique to, to start? Absolutely. So as I said, we really do all things mentoring. We are you know, the pioneers and leaders in this space and have evolved over the course of our 30-year history 
we really see mentoring as a key enabler of talent and diversity and inclusion strategies. So we work with a variety of different organizations across industries, across geographies, to really help organizations look at how they can invest in their key talent through a mentoring experience. It really is a unique leadership development opportunity for talent, uh, really to help them rise to their full potential and help them thrive overall. So it's not just about work. You know, we start with a focus, of course, on career, but it's really whole person mentoring and helping people really rise to be the best version of themselves. And they do that in partnership with a mentee and mentor in our cross company model, because in that model, we are matching key talent with an external mentor for a 12 month mentoring partnership experience. So as you can imagine, when organizations are providing employees their key talent with an external mentor, the emotional and psychological safety that that creates for a mentee to really be able to talk openly, authentically, and vulnerably about you know, where their challenges are, how they want to grow as a leader and as a person, and really have a safe space to do that with their mentor. And so what level of um, experience are you typically looking in uh, for your mentors? And then is there a specific level of experience or number of years in your professional career that you're seeing uh, most frequently for your mentees? A great question. You know, it varies a bit, as you can imagine, organization to organization as we think about roles and titles. There's a lot of variation there. But something that has been very consistent for Mentium through the years is that we are focused on key talent. So we're not mentoring for early careers or for new hires. We're really looking at individuals who have the potential to grow as leaders within their organization. So again, depending on the organizational goals around talent, whether that's looking to really grow and develop and advance female leaders, or maybe looking at folks who are on the succession plan, really having organizations think through their internal uh, talent strategies and leveraging their talent management processes that they use internally to identify um, those individuals who would be great candidates for a mentee and mentoring experience. Typically, uh, our mentees are already at uh, a manager level, sometimes individual contributors as well, but really have a number of years of experience under their belt already and are really growing in terms of their scope and leadership opportunities within their organization. On the mentor side, uh, we have a very diverse and robust network of mentors. The Mentium mentors are all volunteers. So as Sarah shared, she is a mentor with Mentium. She's been mentoring with us for many years now. Uh, and something that I think is really unique about that is that for our mentors, their stake in this is that they are committed to the development of others. They have come to a place in their own careers and lives where they wanna pay it forward, they want to leverage their insights to help another individual grow. And so we just have an incredible network of Mentium mentors who are spending their time and volunteering to mentor with us to develop individuals. And are you guys focusing on any specific type of industry? You know, we work across industries. As I said, we're global. So we're working with a lot of different organizations um, of different sizes with different focus areas and in different industries because, again, mentoring is applicable everywhere. And we all need mentors. And I think now more than ever, as we all navigate through these uncertain and this unprecedented time, having a mentor to help guide us is just so valuable for every single individual. Absolutely. 
Hey, <clears throat> Missy, do you, you mentioned that you guys connect um, folks with a mentor outside of their organization. Do you guys help companies with their internal mentor program that they may want to put on as well? Absolutely. And I think that really goes back to the, we do all things mentoring. So yes, we have the cross company model where we're matching with that external mentor. And then we also do work with organizations who want to develop and implement their own internal mentoring programs. So that works more like a consulting engagement where we are sort of assigning some of our senior consultants to work with organizations to stand up their own internal programs. And again, we're really leveraging our methodology and best practices to help organizations be successful in standing up internal programs as well. And so, so what have you seen from internal programs? Like, you know, it's such an easy, simple concept, but it's hard to execute properly from, from what I've seen within organizations. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those best practices or maybe what you've seen where companies fall down? Because it, it may be, hey, we, we want to assign a buddy or a mentor when somebody's onboarded. Um, but you really, as an employee, maybe only get out of it what you put in. How can, how can companies help kind of drive that? And, and then how do you guys work with them? Really good question because we get that a lot. We often have individuals coming to us from organizations saying, we've tried to implement a program and we had great momentum when we kicked off, but it really lost steam along the way. Um, or we don't have enough mentors internally. We hear a lot about mentor fatigue because typically in organizations, the same leaders are being tapped to be mentors over and over again. And of course, they only have so much time and availability to do that. So I think some of the key elements in terms of what makes it successful, whether that's internal or in our cross-company model, are a few things. So one, our philosophy is very much mentee-driven, mentor-guided. And so we really put the onus on the mentee to drive the partnership, to set clear development goals. Again, it's great to connect with leaders informally and having informal mentors is also very beneficial. But when it comes to a formal mentoring partnership, it's not just about getting together every month to chat. It's really on the mentee side, having clear development goals and really driving towards specific outcomes to achieve over the course of the mentoring relationship. Another thing that's really critical is the match. And I would say for Mentium, that's really our secret sauce. And a big part of our value proposition is the process that we use to match individuals. And so we take a lot of time to get to know our mentees and mentors because it's really in the nuances of who people are and what they're looking to get out of an experience, what their current skill sets are, to help match the best mentor to each mentee. And that looks different for everyone. And we challenge our mentees a lot to think very broadly about what is the kind of profile of a mentor who can best help you reach your development goals. It might not be someone who has walked a very similar path. So a lot of our philosophy is really tied to this notion of the power at the point of difference and really helping mentees and, and sometimes even pushing them to think really broadly about the mentor who um, will be best for their particular kind of phase of life and career. And then another point, I think, to your question around how do you ensure success with a mentoring program is measurement. So something we do at Mentium is what we call our ROM or return on mentoring. And it's really important to be able to measure the impact of a mentoring program and really be able to share back either internally within the organization or with our client organizations on the cross-company mentoring side, what the return on their investment has been. What are you measuring? Sure. So we 
uh, we leverage a pre and post mentoring assessment. And so that pre-mentoring assessment is aligned to six organizational capabilities found in high-performing organizations. So I won't get into all the details here, but there's a pre- and post-mentoring assessment, as well as quarterly surveys along the way for the year-long partnership. And so at each phase of the partnership, we're kind of looking for different markers of quote-unquote success. So within the early stages of the partnership, we're really looking at measuring things like trust and rapport and building the relationship. And then as the mentoring partnership progresses, we're starting to measure things like, are you making headway against your development goals? Are you tracking against the development goals you set for yourself? And then by the end of the partnership, we're really looking at broader outcomes including things like a boost in confidence, a readiness for career progression, strength in job performance, increased engagement. And so we have a pretty robust process for how we measure the impact. I'm curious, at the beginning of these relationships, does the mentee go through any formal assessment for the mentor to help support them through that uh, relationship? So at the beginning of the mentoring partnership, before we even get to the matching process, we have a team of people who are interviewing all of our mentees and mentors. So again, this really goes back to what I was saying earlier about the matching being our secret sauce or a huge part of our value proposition, because we are not the match.com of mentoring. Uh, We really take the time to get to know our mentees and mentors. And so that human element is just so critical again, to really understand the nuances of each individual. So before we even get into the matching process, um, our interview and match team is interviewing each of the mentees and mentors. The mentees fill out a profile and then they complete this pre-mentoring assessment. So we're able to really understand what their focus areas are, um, you know, their current experience coming into the partnership. And then that helps our team make the most effective match. Okay. So outside of the components that you mentioned that help ensure that it's a strong uh, mentoring relationship, is there any sort of personality assessments, 360s, things like that, that a mentor would complete that would then potentially be useful for the mentor to leverage in that relationship? You know, we're really looking at their skill sets. Again, some of the categories on our pre-mentoring assessment to understand the skill sets of the mentors. However, they're not completing any formal assessments. Um, The one place where we do leverage an assessment is in our executive mentoring program. So that's another program that we have that's really geared towards senior leaders who are moving into either the C-suite or close to C-suite positions within their organization. And for that um, mentoring partnership relationship, we do offer the EQI 2.0 assessment to the executive mentee. Sarah, when did you decide you needed a mentor? Like, can, can you talk the listeners through how you got into Mentium and just where you were at personally and why you, you felt it was a good choice? Mentium specifically, Cargill was using the Mentium 100 program, so I was nominated by the business I was working in to be part of it. I'd say in general, though, I've always sought out mentors, and to a great extent, I've been lucky to have people in my life, whether starting with my father, who was a, who was a leader of people. Um, and learning early in my HR career from him, having really great bosses that led me and taught me and, you know, played that role for me as well. So, you know, what's unfortunate is not everyone is that lucky. And that's one of the reasons that I really am passionate about participating in things like this. And this is where I, you know, give a fair amount of my time because too much of this is based on luck in a lot of people's lives. 
do they have the boss who really cares about them and you know focuses on their development? Do they have that circle in their life, that kind of board of directors that they can do, you know, that they can tap into? So for me, it was a wonderful experience. I jumped at it to be able to be in Mentium, but it wasn't the first time I had been mentored. And again, I, I'm very, very lucky because of that. And there are people in my life that I credit with being the professional I am today because of the influence that they had. Well, I, you make your own luck sometimes. So I, I imagine you did some things to stay involved and, and proactively reached out to some of the mentors that you've had in your life. Yeah, I think keeping that relationship going is important. I've noticed a lot of times, and this happens especially with women, we're afraid to ask people for what we need. They almost apologize for asking for the time. And when, I, when I'm talking to women about this especially, I say, you come to me and say, you have some experience I think that could be helpful to me. You've done things that I'm interested in doing. Could I spend some time learning from you? And I always say, why would I ever say no to that? Who in their right mind would say no to that? And so I really try to encourage people to get over that feeling bad about asking for it because it is an incredibly gratifying thing to engage in. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So this is episode 11 for Mike and I, and I feel like probably if we went back and listened to a handful of our previous episodes, there would be some component of diversity and inclusion that would pop pop up in in one of those episodes. And so when um, Katie and I reconnected and then Missy, you and I connected and you were mentioning about the Women Mentoring Men program, I thought, gosh, the topic seemed to be so prevalent and so important with everything going on in today's world. So if you could just maybe start out by telling our listeners a little bit about where the idea for this program came from, and then maybe you could morph into um, sharing with our listeners what the program is and where you guys are at in its current phase. So as we have really been, as a mentoring team, thinking about, again, how to evolve, how to continue to put new offerings out there, new programs, we don't want to stray away from our core competency of mentoring. As we looked at kind of the broader macro context about what's happening, and if you look at where organizations are focusing, whether it's the paradigm for parity, the CEO action for diversity and inclusion, there's so many different initiatives out there to really harness inclusion within organizations and specifically to develop and advance women. And Mentium, as I said, we're a women-owned business, and we actually started out in 1991 as mentoring for high-potential women. So for many years, we had mentoring programs only for women. And so this is a big part of our history and tradition. And so as we thought about how do we take what we do around mentoring and really uh, act as an enabler for organizations who are looking to not only develop and advance women, but also engage men as allies and advocates in this work. We think it's so critical for men to be a part of this dialogue and this conversation And so we came up with this idea to really leverage our cross-company mentoring model and really drive it with a perspective of a clear outcome or focus around engaging men as advocates in gender parity and strengthening inclusive leadership capabilities. So we decided to launch a pilot program here in the Twin Cities, and we've started with five partnerships or 10 participants. They're all executives within their organizations. And the male executives who are participating are the mentees, and then the women who are participating as the mentors um, are really mentoring men around this topic of how do we engage you to be an advocate in this work? How do we join together as women and men? We are very purposeful in even how we title the program, so to speak, around standing together for change. 
because this can be such a divisive topic. And some people have this notion of the zero sum game. And we really wanted to steer clear of that and send a clear message that creating an inclusive environment and driving gender parity will require men and women to come together. We all have a role to play. So in a mentoring partnership, as I mentioned earlier, we're able to create this emotional safety to have courageous conversations. And so in these partnerships where we're bringing men and women together for this mentoring experience, we're also adding in a component to the pilot where we meet as a group on a monthly basis. So more of that kind of cohort experience. And so we're able to really dig deep on some of the topics that need to be discussed around gender equity and gender parity, whether that's the notion of power and privilege and how that plays out in organizations, um, whether it's talking about microaggressions or subtle acts of exclusion, it's really important to have these dialogues that can frankly be difficult to have within the own four walls of our organization sometimes. So with that cohort experience, is that something new that you guys have done? Is, is that not a part of um, legacy programs? We have done it in the past. So some of the current uh, cross-company programs we have started out in a similar way in terms of having um, these group face-to-face sessions. Now we have the benefit, one, of being local, um, but two, now in our current environment and context, we're moving some of these group sessions to obviously a virtual format. And so we have done this and we bring our participants in our kind of standard cross-company programs together for business education webinars and other leadership development opportunities, but having this type of deep dive session in a small group is specific to the pilot program right now. And is the pilot program only taking place in Minnesota, or do you have it geographically spread? Right now, just in Minnesota, as we pilot the concept and gather some learnings and measure some of the impact and results, and then once we kind of get through this pilot program, we'll be putting a plan together for how we scale. And when did the pilot program kick off? We officially launched in January, Um, so before we kicked off 2020, we actually went through the interviewing and matching process, like I mentioned earlier, in a very similar way as we do for our other programs, and then we officially launched with a face-to-face session in January. So you talked about the matching is kind of your secret sauce, and you just mentioned it there. For our listeners, can you give some ingredients to that secret sauce away in, in terms of if I'm building a mentor program internally, how do I match people up? Because I, I think that's so important who you who you are matched up with. And it sounds like what you guys have done is a little bit different of approach where it's not, hey, let's not just put two people that are exactly the same and we think they'll mesh well. You guys have this down to somewhat of a science. Can you share some of the ingredients to how you match people up? Yeah, it's it's a little bit science and a little bit art. So I would say taking it from the pilot perspective specifically, since we're talking about that right now, we really had to put our heads together around what are the right questions to ask of both the mentees and mentors to understand from a mentee perspective, what has the current experience been? What is their mindset around this topic? What are they hoping to get out of this type of an experience? And then on the mentor side, really understanding what role they've played in driving these types of discussions, initiatives within their own organizations, kind of where people are coming from on this topic. It's really important to understand that so that then we could make the most effective matches. We do ask some general questions around when you kind of pictured your ideal mentor, what did you picture, right? So getting at things, we don't do a personality test and we don't match based on personality, but we do ask questions to understand what people are looking for. 
And that's kind of one piece of the puzzle. In our cross-company programs, again, we're leveraging a pre-mentoring assessment. So we're able to really kind of boil down what the key goals are for the mentees. So if there's a mentee who's saying, I really want to work on executive presence in my mentoring partnership, that is a key skill I'm trying to build. It's really important for my success within my organization. Then that's one of the factors that we're going to look at. We're going to make sure that we match that mentee with a mentor who is really solid on that skill and has really solid experience to help develop that mentee around executive presence in that case. But again, so much of it is nuanced, and that's why the having the human touch, so to speak, in the matching process is so important because you can't get at the nuances in a questionnaire or in an online profile. It's when our interview and match team is talking to people, they're able to ask powerful questions, right? So it's no, knowing when to kind of dig in or when a mentee shares something, when do you kind of ask more clarifying questions or powerful questions to kind of take it to that next level and go a little deeper? And so it's in those nuances and really going deep with people uh, that helps our team really be able to make those effective matches. Right. And and you also mentioned earlier about mentor fatigue. Is there a number of mentees that a mentor should have? What do you see from a bandwidth standpoint? You know, I don't think there's a magic number. I think it depends on the individual and the organization. You know, as Sarah shared, some people really have a passion around this. And so they do create a lot of space and time to be able to mentor individuals. And so I think it depends on the organization and the person. Um, but again, just knowing that people have limited time, uh, being able to look at who else could be mentored. Because I think sometimes people look at themselves and they don't see themselves as a mentor. They think, well, I don't have enough experience to be a mentor for someone. And so I think it is too challenging people um, to really recognize the experience they have and the fact that there are many people who can be mentors. It doesn't mean you have to be in the C-suite or have 25 years of experience. At different levels and different stages, we can all be mentors to different individuals. So how did you guys go about uh, finding your mentees? So the men, I guess, would be um, in this particular case for this pilot program. And the second uh, part of that question is, did you receive any resistance? Good question. So in terms of identifying both mentees and mentors, it was really important to us to ensure that everyone participating is choosing to participate on their own. So we didn't want anyone to be sort of told, oh, you should really participate in this program. It would be good for you. This is not remedial. These are individuals who already are doing a lot of work within the organization, already trying to be change agents or are change agents. And so that was a key criteria that everyone who we reach out to participate individually decides this is something that they want to do. And so in terms of sort of the recruitment process, if you will, on the mentee side, we really started uh, connecting into our network through the work we do with a variety of organizations here in the Twin Cities to kind of position the new program and ask people if they knew others or could recommend individuals to participate in the program. And so it was a lot of discussion, sort of referrals, more conversations to then talk about the program, the benefits, the purpose. And it was so encouraging just to get the feedback across the board where people said, wow, this is something that is so needed. And we really see how the mentoring component could really be a differentiator because there are other programs out there that focus on men as allies or men as advocates, whether that be more general leadership development programs or workshops. 
but we haven't necessarily seen a program like this with a mentoring component. So it was really a lot of conversations and just leveraging our network and the people within the Mentium community to help us identify individuals to then go have conversations with to gauge their interest. And I can say that all of the men participating in the pilot program really jumped at the opportunity to participate. And is the format of those relationships different than your legacy programs? Are there different topics that you're encouraging the mentors um, and the mentees to focus on, given the gender specifically? Yeah. So again, even though this is a cross-company mentoring program, it really is with a specific focus. Rather than general leadership development, it's really around engaging men as advocates. I would say that really boils down to that. And then building kind of the confidence and competence amongst the mentees to really be change agents in their organization, because everyone participating in the pilot is a leader. We really looked at starting with the executive level on both the mentee and mentor side, because we believe change starts at the top. And when our leaders are expressing, modeling, and reinforcing the behaviors that lead to inclusion, that's when we can really start to see culture change. So yes, the focus is different. And the group sessions that I talked about, we really bring in a lot of the key topics that the mentees and mentors can then take into their one-on-one conversations. Can you give us any insight into maybe some, what some of those topics are? Yes, absolutely. So in our second session, uh, we actually partnered with InQuest, which is a diversity and inclusion consultancy out of Chicago. And we facilitated a session on this topic of microaggressions, uh, which they actually call subtle acts of exclusion. And so we talked about what are those behaviors and sort of things that can happen on a day-to-day basis within the workplace that can really lead to exclusion or that can really create barriers. And we talked about kind of the differences between intent and impact and what the role of leaders is and how these subtle acts of exclusion show up differently uh, when you're an executive in your organization and how they set the tone And then how do you productively and safely speak up? So that was a large part of the focus is how do you speak up? How do you do it in a way that is meaningful uh, and feels good to those around as well? And sort of take this notion of these subtle acts of exclusion, which can seem small in the moment, but over time really build up. And so Sarah can maybe share some examples as well in terms of the discussion we had, but it was a really powerful dialogue and really helped people pause and think about how this has played out both personally and then also within their organizations and then how to take the learnings from this session and then apply them back in the workplace because that's another really critical component of the experience is not just sort of the self-assessment and awareness piece, but then the skill building and the confidence to go back and be a change agent. Yeah, I would love your two cents, Sarah, if you, if you want to chime in. Uh, it, and that session was really, really powerful. And we really try to keep the sessions confidential in terms of specifics, so I won't go into great detail on things. But, you know, a lot of the women shared things. I'll give my own examples of, you know, um, being in a meeting and making a point and then having a male colleague restate that point. And then that point is two minutes later attributed to the male colleague who restated what I said. And the heads in the room that nodded were all women, right? And the, a lot of the men in the room thought, hmm, they'd never noticed that before. And it's those stories that you bring up of, oh, I had never thought about that happening and kind of helping people have the scales fall from their eyes and start having that awareness of, oh, now I have seen that happen. Okay, that's the first step. Now, when it does happen, what do you do? You know, what do you do in those cases? I had shared a personal story when that happened to me that I did call out my male colleague on it. 
somewhat nicely. We had a good relationship, so I could do it fairly bluntly. And he was really shaken and he came to see me later. And it was a chance for him to really look inside and try to figure out why my voice didn't stick with him when the male colleague voice did, you know? And so how do you use those moments? Not as a way to shame someone, you know, not as a way to make them feel bad or, or guilty, but to say, okay, that just happened. Now, can you go learn from it and take that opportunity? And it was a great time in that room for people to share those sorts of things. And for me to learn, you know, we have people of different races and you know, ethnicities in the group as well. And so to hear stories from people that come from a completely different perspective than I do. So it, it was a really great learning experience. The facilitator was tremendous. And the, the book, Subtle Acts of Exclusion, is really a great resource tool. I think I really get that too. The types of conversations you can have when you're in a safe space. And so, again, having that psychological safety between mentee and mentor and then also creating it with the group has allowed us to go really deep really quickly. And it's important because we can't make progress against some of these very challenging uh, topics we're discussing here, like gender parity, unless we're willing to have the courageous and hard conversation. I love that. And I'm curious, outside of um, the, the cohort kind of brick and mortar classroom opportunity that you guys just shared, how else are these topics being surfaced? Is it through self-reflection? Is it through just talking through experiences and, and trying to put a finger on a time in which maybe somebody had been excluded? Can you give some more examples? Of how we're bringing the different topics to how they kind of know what to talk about? Yeah, I, I loved the example of the cohort session and the learnings from that and then how the learnings from that would then show up in future conversations that the mentor and the mentee are having. But outside of those, how else um, are we driving maybe some self-awareness to the men specifically about how some of those conversations have impacted, uh, such as the example that Sarah provided? I'll speak to that. I think that's really then it comes down to the pairing. So we have individual meetings, the mentor and mentees as well. So it's meant to be kind of a self-reinforcing cycle. You're learning things in the cohort group, but you're also discussing things in your one-on-ones. And for me, I go back to the goals of my, for my mentee. So we sat down in the first session and I wanted to know why was he in this program and what did he want to learn from it? And, you know, we'll evolve from there, but that's where I always go back to. And so we try to play everything back to why are you in this in the first place and what do you want to get out of this? I'm not driving it as the mentor. He's driving it as the mentee. And so it's continually bouncing back and forth between the group learning and the one-on-one discussions and trying to reinforce, you wanted to learn something and move down this path. How do we make sure that's what you're doing in this partnership? And how can I help? I know that it might be too soon to say, but I'm I'm curious if in some of those relationships, it has um, become prevalent to the mentee that maybe there has been some lack of self-awareness and how they show up in a meeting or how they engage with their female colleagues. And so I wasn't sure if there were other discussions such as those that are maybe helping to prompt like, oh yeah, I guess I do kind of show up that way. Or I have said those things that have maybe then had this impact on other females that I work with or that I support. You can definitely see the wheels turning when stories are shared and you can see the thing of, did, did I do that? Have I done that? A lot of times you'll see the the men in the group kind of go quiet because you can tell they're thinking through. And I think, too, for the mentors, again, because we've created this safe space to have these discussions, there's learning 
all across the board. So I think we all leave those sessions really humbled and really grateful for the experience to pause and really kind of focus in on this and think about our responsibility as leaders. And so a lot of it is taking the time away from the craziness of the day-to-day to really focus on this, to think about it. And then again, as Sarah said, going back to the goals, it's the same philosophy across the board for us with all of our programs, which is that mentee-driven mentor guided. And so each of the mentees has set goals for the partnership. And so that's what they're really honing in on when they have their one-on-one sessions with their mentor. And is this pilot program going for a year? It's a six-month pilot. You mentioned that there'll be some evaluation following the pilot program. Are you guys hoping to conduct another program yet this year or more than likely 2021? Potentially. So we're thinking about what the process will be again and learning from our history when we've launched other programs um, that also have this kind of group component, what scaling will look like. So we won't go from this local pilot to just full scale. Uh, We might do another series of pilots in other key markets for us. So that's all TBD, but those are some of the things that we're thinking about. So likely getting through the pilot, really honing in on the learning, talking to the participants and getting their recommendations because that's part of being in a pilot, right, is really leveraging the participants to also share their learning, what worked, what didn't, what would you recommend for the future. So we'll certainly have a planning phase once we get through the pilot to figure out next steps. So when I hear the word pilot, you know, I'm in software, so I hear beta. That tells me that you guys are trying something new, and there are certain outcomes that you want to see or have to see to continue to do it. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys expect to get out of this pilot and what it means to be a success? So yeah, we are testing out the concept. It's you know it's new for us, as I shared, and then looking at you know measuring results not only in terms of sort of I'll just call it program satisfaction, but really the behavioral outcomes. And so we're going to be um, devising a a tool, a survey that's going to actually go out to participants probably 90 days post uh, pilot completion to really uh, be able to help us assess the behavior change. And so those are all things that we are working on and developing as we speak. Great. And then, hey, um, Sarah, when you went from a mentee to a mentor, since you've been on both sides, what advice would you give to mentors um, that are out there to get the best out of the the person that they're mentoring? Uh, Misty mentioned something earlier where people aren't sure, like, I, I can't be a mentor. That's not me. I don't have enough experience. And that's just not true. So for those people that maybe are stepping out of their comfort zone, becoming a mentor, what should they know? And, and how can they get the best relationship with their mentee? You know, I think one of the biggest things is for me, I'll just speak for me is in terms of success as a mentor is to go in with a deep uh, curiosity of the person. You know, this person has blessed you with the ask of sharing your knowledge and sharing your time. And I never look at it as going in to say, I'm coming to teach them and I'm coming to extol my wisdom on them. I'm learning every day. I have mentors in my life. I am never done learning and how to be a good professional, how to be a good mother, how to be a good wife, all the things I'm trying to be good at. So going in and having a goal to ask more questions and listen more than you speak, I think is the best way. Uh, Missy and I both come from a background of of a coaching kind of methodology that really invests in the belief that everyone has the answers inside them 
a good coach and a good mentor just helps them find those answers. And so I will kind of bounce back and forth between those sorts of styles. Sometimes I might have information or, or actual advice to share, but I, I really try to come more from curiosity. What does this person need from me today and how do I serve them? And that keeps me from being too worked up about I have to be perfect or I have to be so smart in this. It just brings me back to the place of I'm here to help this person and they've blessed me with asking me to do that. And so I'm going to be present with them and give them what they need today, not what I think they need today. And one more question on that. If, if I'm looking for a mentor, I mean, we we have so many different areas in our lives where we could use a mentor. I, I once was given the reference of like, create your board of directors in your personal and, and professional life. Like who, who are your advisors? How do you find the best person, whether it's professional or personal? Any advice to people looking for a mentor that just maybe think, I, I don't even know what I'm looking for? Yeah. I think being clear on what you want out of it, uh, we tend to sometimes use, and I'm sure, you know, Mentee's an expert in this, mentoring versus coaching versus managing versus sponsoring, all are different things. You know, so be clear on what you're looking for. Are you looking for someone to kind of, you know, give you some advice about life in general or, you know, to tap into that? Is it a specific technical thing that you're looking for, right? I want to be a better software developer, whatever it is. Do the work first of what you want out of it. I have seen people make the mistake of going to a senior executive and saying, will you be my mentor? And they have zero clarity around what they want to be mentored on. So doing that work and that self-reflection first is very important. And then it's really looking around your world. Who is available to me? What can I tap into? Ask other people, hey, I'm interested in this. I've had that come up where someone has come and asked about mentoring, and I know that I'm not the best match for them, but I might know someone in my network who would love to do it. I have seen it where it come, they maybe don't do that work up front, and that's where it tends to stall and and not kind of go anywhere. But if you're very clear and intentional about what you want out of it, you will be able to find someone. And I think you should find multiples. You know, I think about mm-hmm. I'm I'm in a kind of a mentoring role with multiple people in my life right now, both with Mentium on a formal basis and probably three or four people that reach out to me on about a quarterly basis to talk about life and often, you know, life and HR. But I have those people in my life as well that I reach out to and that I need to. So it's sort of a constant evolution of being mentored and mentoring at the same time. Sarah, what would you say to somebody who is interested in mentoring, but they say like, gosh, I just don't know that I can fit it into my schedule. I travel a lot for work and busy. I've got four kids at home, you know, but that's something that they're passionate about. Maybe you can Speak to that and also, um, given that you have mentored for quite a number of years with Mentium, what that time commitment has looked like for you. Yeah, I mean, I think we make time for the things that are important. And if you don't think you can make the commitment to it, then absolutely not. You shouldn't do it because the worst thing I think you can do is agree to do this for someone and then not show up for them or not be present when you need it. But it's not a giant time commitment. Like I said, some of these more informal relationships I'm in are maybe a quarterly coffee before work. With Mentium, it's generally, you know, at least one one hour session a month with the kind of ongoing year-long mentoring program. And maybe you might need a little more if they need it. Um, And then some webinars and things that you can take advantage of on top. In the equation of the hours that you have in a month, that's not a huge amount. 
right? And I think that you can always make that time. And for me, it's a selfish act. I get so much more out of it than I probably do. So it's something that I do. It's become my primary thing. I don't sit on boards of directors. You know, I don't really have hobbies. I have work and I have family and I have mentoring. And those are things that just bring me the most joy and satisfaction. Outside of our current COVID uh, circumstances, when you meet monthly, are you typically doing those in person or over the phone? Um, if you can, if you if you're matched with someone in your geography, then meeting in person I think is always easier. Um, there's some safety sometimes in phone calls, though. Sometimes people will share things with you that maybe they wouldn't when they're face to face, depending on what it is. Um, but face to face is great, and you can. And with the technology now, obviously being able to do video calls makes it a lot easier as well. And most of our partnerships are virtual. So we've been doing virtual mentoring since 2004. So it's most of our mentees and mentors are not located in the same place. So they're leveraging tools to be able to use video so they can still see each other. And oftentimes they're able to connect, uh, again, whether that's through travel, it takes them to different places, but typically they're connecting virtually and figuring out which sort of tools that they want to use and work for them. I'm curious, and this would be a question for either Sarah or Missy, or both of you might want to weigh in, but um, how often do you see these one-year commitments end up going longer than that? People staying in touch and maybe even developing friendships outside of that mentorship relationship. It happens a lot. So with Mentium, the formal program is 12 months, uh, but many of our mentees and mentors stay connected long after their partnership officially closes. I have a couple ongoing friendships with people that were my mentees um, over Mm -hmm. the years with Mentium to a point where I had to stop and think, wait, how did I meet them? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. great. That's when you know the the matchmaking was a match made in heaven, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on the, I've been on both sides of the Mentium matching process and it is very, I don't want to say intensive. It wasn't hard. It was very thorough. They ask Mm -hmm. a lot of really good questions um, and that make you kind of sit back and go, oh, wow, that is a really good question. Let me think about this Um, on both sides of it in terms of what you want. And I appreciate it as a mentee. They really honored what I was looking for. You know, I'm a woman in human resources. So, you know, there's a lot of us in women in human resources. So I said, I don't want a mentor who is a woman and I don't want a mentor who's in human resources. And I was met, yeah. you know, at a, a, like a commercial executive at the company in Michigan who was a, a guy. So I appreciated them listening and honoring that request because that really helped me sort of fit a piece of puzzle, you know, into the puzzle of my development mm-hmm. at that time in my life that I really needed. Well, Sarah, if our listeners would want to connect with you on maybe an interest that they have in being a mentor with Mentium, or maybe they even want to learn a little bit more about you and what you do at Series. How can our listeners connect with you? Um, you know, anyone could send me an email. Just give an email address. It'd be um, S-B-B-L-O-M-Q-U-I-S-T at gmail.com. Um, or look me up on LinkedIn. Always happy to take a connection um, and make it through there. It's a topic I obviously love talking about. Great. And Missy, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about Mentium? Yeah, you can check out our website. M-E-N-T-T-I-U-M, Mentium.com. Follow us on LinkedIn. We're posting a lot of content and even free resources out there right now that people can take advantage of to, you know, provide some extra value during this time. 
And then also, if anyone's interested in connecting with me personally, uh, best way is probably through LinkedIn. All right. Well, it was such a pleasure. Thank you to you both for being a part of our podcast today. I'm sorry that we couldn't do this in person, but I'm thankful for technology still allowing to bring us all together and to have these really hearty conversations. I know uh, a lot of people have maybe a little extra time on their hands right now. And so having a, a podcast to listen to, to help keep them educated or entertained um, is something that Mike and I are continuing to strive for. So thank you again for your time and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, your CEO. Help us get the podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have suggestions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use the code WHATSCHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.